1: How does Paul Thomas Anderson replicate the 1970s, specifically the San Fernando Valley? He brings in his two-time Oscar-winning costume designer, Mark Ridges. We're here with him today, and also licorice pizza actress, Alana Haim, on Crew Call. So, Alana, tell me about how you got to know Paul. I understand even before he started shooting your music videos, that he knew you and your family for quite some time.
2: Kind of, it's a little bit of both. I mean, in in a crazy turn of events, my mother uh, had taught him in elementary school when he was really young, like a lower school. So he was like around five, six or seven, but her name was Miss Rose, it wasn't Miss Chaim. And my mom kind of the same thing was like, Oh, you know, like, when, when we would see Paul's movies on TV, she'd be like, I, you know, I taught him. And we always just thought that was so crazy. And my mom taught, like, a young PTA. And then, obviously, we've been huge fans of Paul's work. And we kind of always knew, we're like, God, like, if we ever meet Paul, like, I really do think we'd get along because he loves the Valley. And we're Valley girls. And we're, like, very proud to be from the Valley. And so is he. I mean, I think he's the only other person that I've ever met that is just so proud to be from the Valley. And um, years passed I mean, we had already done our first album and we were about to gear up for our second album. And our friend connected us, which was so crazy. Like our friend was like, yeah, Paul just uh, asked for your email and we were like, what? Or he gave, he gave us Paul's email and we were just so confused. We're like, that's so crazy. It came out of the blue. And we emailed him, but we didn't tell him about my mom. And then when we met him, we finally said, you know, like, my mom taught you. And and it turned out that my mom was one of his favorite, or my mom was one of his favorite teachers, which was so crazy. And then our friendship kind of just blossomed from that. We, we got to do amazing music videos together for years. And then all of a sudden, you know, he wrote a, a part for me in, in a movie, which is
1: really How? cool. So... First of all, you're sublime in this. Oh. I mean, first time, first role, you and Cooper just serious and I know, I know I am not alone there, you know, in, in saying this. How how long did he have you in mind for the role? I know how he conceived it. It's inspired by Gary Getzman. Uh he had seen, I think at a junior high, uh, a kid going, kind of pursuing the, the photography assistant. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was kind of like how he got the, 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 wheels, the wheels in motion for a screwball comedy. But how long had he been discussing with you this role?
2: I mean, I heard a, a li- like little things here and there, but I think it really was when he kind of focused on licorice pizza, he kind of always had me in mind, which is so crazy. And, and I'm, you know, still mind blown by that. But I really do think that me and Paul, especially working on music videos, I think he loved the part of me that was very much like where and when I was always ready to kind of jump in and do anything. And I, I don't think I've ever said no <laughs> ever in my life. I'm always up for a new challenge, and i all and I always love trying new things and I think he kind of saw that side of me and I fit into this world of licorice pizza and and he kind of started with me in mind, which is amazing and and reading it there's so much of me in in the stories and and i I mean I've told paul my basically my whole life at this point he knows like every big story that I ever have, and a lot of them were in the script when I had gotten it, so It was amazing. Can you share one? Well, the Shabbat scene is okay from my life (laughs) that actually happened. It wasn't my boyfriend; it was my sister's boyfriend. (laughs) Um, But that I told Paul that story like years ago, before you know, licorice pizza was even like a thing. I think we just told the story as like a funny thing, and I remember him calling me. I was like about to get on the plane to go somewhere. And he was like, can you send me a voice note with that story? And verbatim basically like had that whole thing in, in the script. Which oh, was-
1: wow. Give me another moment. What's another one?
2: Oh, there was a lot of things that I'm, uh, unfortunately. The truck.
1: No, I'm the truck
2: is my life. That is yeah. um No, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there was some really funny lines that were in the movie that unfortunately got caught got cut. Um, But I had a whole monologue about bat mitzvah season, (laughs) that was supposed to be in the movie, but then eventually got cut when Gary and Alana are walking um, after their first, in quotes, date. It's not really a date, but um, yeah, there was like a whole monologue about how I was talking about um, how I really wanted a boy to kiss me in a bat mitzvah. And that was another story that I had told Paul. But it's not in the movie, but that's okay. That's so this is really
1: interesting. Your character isn't necessarily based on one of Gary Getzman's girlfriends.
2: I mean, it's a little unclear. I feel like I got a little bit of, you know, Gary's life in there in me. I'm like an amalgamation of a lot of people. It's like a little bit of me, you know, a little bit of, I mean, Kay Lenz was uh, breezy and, and in Licorice Pizza, I'm rainbow. Um, and there's, you know, excerpts from that movie in, in this movie, but it really is just kind of a weird version of me, a little bit more frantic version, a little bit more <laughs> crazy version of me. Um, but it was great, it was so fun. It was, it was great. How did, how
1: did Paul prep you for the role? Like before he even shot one frame, did he work with you and Cooper in, in just going through Different types of scenes kind of getting you comfortable with the camaraderie.
2: Oh, yeah. No, we did multiple screen tests with me and Cooper um, that were very, you know, daunting and eye-opening. And I think, in my mind, these screen tests were like, we were stars from the beginning. And then you actually rewatch them we were terrible. I mean, we were like stumbling through all the dialogue. We were so nervous with each other and i think the thing that's so crazy to think about is i mean we were supposed to shoot this movie um way earlier and me and cooper didn't really know each other very well and then the pandemic happened and we had to push you know shooting to a later date and during the whole pandemic me and cooper talked every day we talked every day we had the script we would read the script out loud to each other constantly getting more comfortable with the dialogue and just really kind of in like diving into this world of licorice pizza and I'm weirdly very thankful that like we got that time to really get to know each other so by the time that we actually had to act with each other we really did feel like a team and wow. we felt like Gary and Alana you know we felt like I mean I we were basically thinking the same things we knew we had the same language and and we were way more comfortable with each other which was great and I and Cooper's the best. So it was very easy to get along with Cooper.
1: So Mark, I remember Paul saying in a conversation, you know, uh, with around one of the first screenings for Licorice Pizza, he was like, "I'm not going to put the kids in makeup. They're they're running around the San Fernando Valley in the summer, and we're di- this is supposed to be look raw and close ups and everything." Was it the same with the wardrobe? Was it more, "Hey, come as you are, kids." or no, there is a method to designing this?
3: Uh, it's interesting you ask that because I think there's always kind of a hybrid of, of planned nonchalance, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll get the right period, but it should look kind of slept in. And can we send the guys home with their clothes so that they can put them on at home and just show up in them? You know, think he's at asking things like that. And sometimes we were able to do it and sometimes we weren't. Um, but he definitely likes things to look real and slept in, uh in this and in the same way that he doesn't want makeup or he doesn't really want hair to do too much. So yeah, the clothes always have to feel pretty real.
1: Now, one of my questions was going to be, um, it was going to be, well, how do you how do you switch from 1950s hot couture european hot couture to to 1970s fashion and then i'm like this is your third 1970s paul thomas anderson movie after boogie nights and unherrant vice which leads me to how was this different than those previous two films
3: Oh, that that's interesting. You know, I, I just try to be very specific about the year that we're dealing with, and then a lot of things fall in place. You look at films or television from 1970, and it still feels a little 60s, and there's a whiff of 70s. By the time we get to 73, it is the 70s you think of when you think of 70s in all its polyester glory. <laughs> and, and then by the time you get to Boogie Nights, There's a different attitude about sexuality and freedom and women's rights and, and the clothes reflect that. So even if it's a matter of three years or five years, you know, I'm always trying to be really specific to time and place. So that naturally makes it different. So as when it comes to
1: curating all of the fashion, easy, easy thing to do here in L.A.? Or are, are you literally just racking your head trying to find the checkered dress with, with the white collar that she's wearing in, in the councilman's office?
3: Yeah. Uh, y- it's L.A. makes it easier to curate things or find things because we are blessed. It's a company town. We're blessed with rental houses that have been collecting clothes for a hundred years. You yeah. uh, know, Western costumes certainly. Everybody's got a collection, and and so I love to go put my hands on clothes. And, and find it, and then we'll do, sometimes you'll use that as a museum piece and, and copy it in our own fabric, or you know, you'll know, you find an incredibly fitting pair of, of brushed denim pants from the period, but they look 50, 60 years old, so you need to remake them. But it's an incredible treasure trove, and I think LA really makes it possible. I'd be at much disadvantage uh, in other places if we were shooting it anywhere else.
1: So talk about or both of you, Alana's sense of style. Um, when we see her at first, she's in she's in and correct me on on any of my descriptions here. She's in a tennis dress and kind of like it's not an eyesod, but something like a blue preppy eyesod. And then as it goes on, she's in a lot of rubies, a lot of reds, a lot of purples. You know, like the purpl- like the purple floral dress. Can you? Describe, does, does does it go with her arc, or is her fashion tailored to her arc in the film, or is her fashion just tailored to a particular instance? She dresses up when she needs to. She's comfortable, like when she's driving the truck, when she needs to be. All
3: right, I'm going to start, but then I want Alana's <laughs> input on this, too. But yeah. Uh, I think our goal was to make a realistic type closet for this person, you know, has a certain number of, of pants, the fitter, dresses, skirts. Um, That first thing that she wears is kind of a uniform for the women who work for the photographer, uh, their own, each of them does their own version of it. But, um, and I do think it turned out to be, and this comes from me, but I also think it could be a mindset for the character Alana, is, is occasion dressing, you know, um, because you, you dress up for uh, a Seder, you, you know, you look nice. I remember I was talking about that. Or, you know, she wants to do well at her job uh, for the councilman, so she kind of puts on her, her grown-up, her, her young adult outfit that she kind of wears too when she's gonna be Gary's guardian. So, and then she wears something very uncharacteristic when she goes for an audition, like <laughs> putting on a different person or selling earrings. It was, you were selling earrings at that mm-hmm. team fair, right? Yes. And so it becomes a little more hippie looking, you know? So I think we ended up being a, a, occasion dressing, which I think was very typical at the time. Um, there were right clothes for parts of the daytime, although it was loosening up, but I think there was still that element there. So that's what we did for Alana.
2: Totally. I mean, I feel like the, the funniest uh, decision that we made was when I'm going to you know see my agent, my future agent, where I'm wearing the iconic red dress with the uh, white collar. And that's I think the funniest choice that we made because it does kind of look like a hand-me-down kind of like I maybe got it from my siblings and then I was wearing it it's Alana's version of looking professional for that you know this audition to get an agent. Yeah. Um, and I look ridiculous. I mean, and that was one of the first dresses that I tried on with Mark. I remember we kind of both looked at it. We're like, maybe this is too crazy. I remember looking at it, like, I don't know how we're going to fit this in. And then I put it on and it was just such a walking punchline. It just looked so funny, but also randomly fit me very well. Um, and we really just went for it. And it was the perfect dress for that part because I just look so funny and and it makes everyone laugh every time they see me for the first time.
3: And to me, with my specificity specifically trying to do a certain time and date, um, um, that is right from 1973. I mean, it don't it wouldn't be 70, it wouldn't be 76, it is that moment in time. So so that's why I loved it. And then we we kind of remade it. I think I stole the collar and cuffs off of another the original dress and then we made remade the body so that it was easier for you to oh
2: right yes the
3: zipper was placed differently yeah but we loved it so much that we you loved it once you'll love it again if we when we remake it so that it plays better you know so so You, you feel things when you're in a fitting you feel things that are right and it's the character and you keep it and move on so you were working with the sub,
1: the specific year of 1973
3: uh yeah it was a little when we were doing it, it you know i think paul would say 72 to 73 which to me is always like wait i i practically want a month you gotta tell me a year um and if even if it was 73 you know no one has everything up to the moment and i think now during editing and things we know that it's 73 now right isn't for some reason I'm like it's 73 it's 73 Um, so yeah we were doing that we were shooting for that early time which really jazzed me because it's so unique looking
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com
1: And what, the axiom difference, what is it?
3: You know, I think there's more, because people are never up to, to the moment. You know, there was a lot more 1960s feelings in 1970. I love doing a transition. The master was 1950, so there's elements of 40s there, and then you feel going into the 50s. I feel like Inherent Vice was more 60s and you were going into the 70s. So that's the difference. I think it feels more 60s in Inherent Vice, and this one is dead on 70s.
1: So Mark, how far in advance do you have all the clothes for a particular scene? Are you ever, are you, is, is everything like collected for the week before you shoot a particular scene? Or are things getting rip, ripped up and my, my, my nephew is all, he, he works in costume design, and he's been in a situation where a director will rip up something. You know, like they'll be planning something for the week, and then the director will rip something, like, nope, that's not the design I'm going with. And then it's chaos, and they all have to kind of catch up with a whole new design.
3: Yeah, we try to avoid that. As, yeah. All possible. <laughs> um, you know, planning uh, changes always happen. I've been on set with. Paul on um, Boogie Nights or Magnolia or whatever, where he'll, we'll all plan it and he'll get to the set and in the moment he'll be like, you know, do you have another bathing suit that we can put on that has a little more juice? Or, so I'm always there. You're always, we try to plan. It usually goes very well, but you do have to be able to move right or left at the last minute. Um, but sometimes you can plan. I knew Bradley's costume was white and we were gonna use it all night and it's very thin cotton and he had a lot of action in it and things like that. So uh, even though our prototypes that we approved the look for were period one-offs, then I turned around and made multiples copying the originals so that in the middle of the night, Paul wasn't there on Ventura Boulevard like, um, could I get another shirt, you know? <laughs> oh, and then I remember when we were on Ventura Boulevard, he was like, can we rip this? Can we yeah. put some <laughs> blood on it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because, because I, I just wanted to give him that flexibility and having worked with him for 20-some years, um, that's a distinct possibility. And I want to give him the freedom to be able to do what he wants to do at any time, really. And then the, can you talk about your color palette?
1: I mean, it is just, it's vibrant, it's, it's a beautiful movie, but I'm, I'm curious, were there certain colors you didn't use or
3: can you discru- discuss your range? It's really interesting that you asked this question because um, typically I do have palettes, but um, bet- I felt that the actual color palette of this period, um, is so perfect for the buoyant, fun ride that this film is. Um, I don't think, you know, I'm not, it was a very brown period and we had a lot of brown in the interiors. And so I, I knew we wanted to pop it up a little bit with the clothes, but that just, that just meant choices of what we already had for certain situations. The p- period palette Helped make it feel period, and also helped the buoyancy of the script. I think, like because what you know, he he had it tran he
1: had it uh, transferred. I understand to 70 millimeter. He shot on actual film stock, and then there was this you know this whole thing to make it feel like a film that you would actually see in the 70s, that with the filter and the vibrant. I'm just I'm I'm just curious did he have a specific direction like, like, don't bring me any pale colors. Everything's got to be a full bodied wine. Something
3: to that. I don't that think so. I don't know. And I, what I think is so cool about him is, you know, I always come, I've come from a school of like teching down whites and things like that. And, you know, he didn't, he doesn't need anything like that. He wants it to feel kind of real, the way you'll sometimes see home movies and the whites or the reds flare or blues are always super sensitive. And I think that's part of it feeling kind of offhand and a little rugged, you know, is let's just to play with the colors. I do not remember him. <clears throat> my own limitations is I don't love black. I don't really use black a lot in my work. Um, but that was the only thing, and we didn't really need that. If we need black, I'll use it, but I don't usually do it. And I think he was happy with the the joy that those the period palette brings.
1: the um as far as the um I mean, you had a million costume changes. a lot. Of, <laughs> were, was that easy? for me? Yeah.
2: I mean, it kind of, it seems like I had a million costume changes. I mean, there were a lot of repeat um, outfits that we had, that brown dress. I basically lived in this brown dress with the flowers and the boots. I wore that twice. But you kind of get the sense that this brown dress is like one of those staples in Alana's closet that she'll always keep going back to because it looks good, it feels good, it's comfortable. But it also kind of makes her seem like she's more mature. Like, I feel like that's like her mature dress. Um, And also the Joel Wax dress was, I basically, like that was like a very long sequence that we shot. Um, And I never knew that green, you know, would look good on me. Who would have known that green would be my color? Now I wear it all the time. Look at you, you look,
3: I love this top on you. You I know, green, who would have known
2: that green would look good on me. I love it. Um, But it was, these dresses uh, really did bring to life what what was going on in the dialogue. Um, and yeah, no, there there weren't, I'm trying to think like how many, mm, there was a lot of like switching t-shirts with the same jeans and I, I had this amazing pair of blue jeans that I would always be so sad when we had to wash them because they would fit so perfectly unwashed. <laughs> I'd wear them for like a week and a half straight and I remember being like, do we have to wash them? Like, no, there's like dirt and schmutz and everything all over them and I would put them on again and i would be like... <gasps> I had to break them in again. Um, But yeah, no, it was a lot of using the same pieces, but in different ways. Um, And it was great. I mean, it felt like a Valley Girls wardrobe. There was, it was great.
1: Did you get to keep anything? Did you take anything home? I
2: I really wanted those jeans. (laughs) I really wanted those jeans. Did not get those jeans. I have, the one thing that I have is, this 70s blue robe with yellow and orange trim that i wear when i'm calling brian in the bathroom that's that's what i made i got from from the experience i'm i'm hoping at some point the polka dot bikini comes into my possession i have a feeling that will never happen i feel like paul's gonna keep that polka dot bikini because it's so iconic um but yeah, that was, that was great. I loved that bikini. And I had, I had to be in that bikini for also a very long time. It took a long time to shoot that sequence too.
1: <laughs> Before we go, what is next for you both? Mark, I know you're working on the Fablemans.
3: The Fablemans we wrapped in October. And then I'm supposed to work uh, with Bradley Cooper on uh, the Leonard Bernstein uh, biography that he's doing. What era are we talking for the Fablemans? Uh, that's early fifties and early sixties. Okay. Okay.
1: And Alana, yes. what's, 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 what's going on?
2: I go on tour with my siblings. That's the next thing that I do for the rest of the year. I'm, I'm touring with my siblings. Um, and yeah, hopefully maybe I would love to work. I would love to work with Mark again. Mark.
3: Yes. come on, got to get yes. the band back that's together. So Mark. We gotta get that band back together. We gotta get
2: the band back together. We will one day. It'll
3: happen. Yeah. It will. I feel It'll the same happen.
1: Yeah. Where are you playing in Los Angeles? <laughs>
2: we're playing the Hollywood Bowl. Wow.
1: Is really wow, wow. 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 It's
2: insane to say it out loud that we're finally playing the Hollywood Bowl. I've never stepped foot on that stage. So I'm I'm very excited for that.
1: What's your usual haunt though? For
2: to play? I mean my favorite venue in Los Angeles is the Troubadour. That's like okay. it's always been that way. Okay. From the beginning, I've loved the Troubadour. Like I mean, you feel the history when you go in there. It hasn't changed. Um, but I mean the last big venue that we played in LA was the Greek, and that was insane. Wow. It was I, incredible.
1: I'm jumping to conclude the 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 all the wrong conclusions. I'm like Paul at Largo, the oh, Apple. No. Oh largo, largo largo no. largo <laughs> so, night. Um, excellent. Thank you both.
2: Thank, Thank you, you so both. much. Thank you. I love Take
1: you care.
3: Love seeing Bye. you.
2: Thanks for
1: listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.